Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to another Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. I'm just about hanging on here. The the game, the Europa League win over Red Star Belgrade is just finished and whew, blimey, what can you say? I'm not sure I have the words to describe what I've just seen this evening. Breathtaking, electrifying, gripping scintillating, exciting, thrilling, stimulating, overwhelming, magnificent, mind-bending, rip-roaring, wondrous, hair-raising. None of those words could really be used to describe the... The 1-0 win over Red Star Belgrade in Belgrade in the Europa League, making it 3 out of 3 for Arsenal, 100% record in this tournament this season. And you know, okay, I'm going to hold my hands up here. I think it's my fault. I talked this week about how much fun the Europa League was, how different it was, how there was a freshness to it. But you know what the problem was? The problem was that this felt like a Champions League game. That's what I'm putting it down to. Nothing to do with the team selection, nothing to do with the paucity of performance, nothing to do with us not really knowing what kind of football we're supposed to be playing these days. It just felt like a Champions League game. One of those games where you go away from home. We've seen them countless times in the past. Sometimes we win, sometimes we don't. We might get a draw. You know, there was a game a few years ago where we were like 1-0 down. It could have been against... Oh, crap. I can't remember who it was against. How am I supposed to remember these things at this time of night? But it was, again, I think, a German side, and we were losing 1-0 until the last two minutes. And I think Kieran Gibbs and Lucas Podolski scored goals in the final two minutes to give us a 2-1 win. It was like, oh, well, okay, we've won. I, I can't be unhappy that we've won. That's ridiculous. We've won, and we've pulled a game from the ashes, and we've beaten whoever it was we played and taken three points, and there was an element of that with last night's game. It was just like, oh, please, just get it over with. Like, can we have the 90 minutes? Oh, please, just over. And then we score this amazing goal, a truly fantastic goal, the move between Wilshire and uh, Walcott, and then Giroud's finish. Not quite a Wilshire against Norwich, not quite one of those tippy-tappy great goals that we've scored in the past, but still a very, very good goal, and a goal that stood out in terms of quality because it was so much uh, higher than what we saw for the rest of the game. Arsenal didn't really perform. We had lots of possession. We didn't create an awful lot with it. There wasn't much pace to our attacking play. There wasn't much movement. There wasn't much guile. Whatever was going to come was always going to come from Jack Wilshire, I think. Uh, Giroud was up there. Walcott was buzzing around him. But, you know, it was about as... 
effective as a, a mosquito doing laps of an Easter Island statue. I don't know how to describe it. It just wasn't great. You know, there wasn't much going on either behind them. Reese Nelson, Ainsley Maitland-Niles, two guys at wing back, and they have an important role to play in this formation, but they're two guys played out of position. They're not really doing it. I, I like uh, the look of Joe Willock, I have to say. There was something tidy and accomplished about his performance in midfield, if not particularly eye-catching, and Jack Wilshire looked to be the guy who was going to make the difference, and he had a big part in the goal, of course. At the back, there wasn't a lot going on, thankfully. There wasn't a lot to take care of. El Elneny at centre-half, no, thank you, no. I d- no, no, let's not do that, please. I understand why it had to happen tonight, but, you know, we shouldn't. We shouldn't do that because he doesn't really know the position particularly well. About a minute into the game, I'm looking at our defensive anchorman, the man who's supposed to, you know, uh, sit there and let the other two center halves do the business, and he's near the halfway line chasing a player around. You're going, uh-oh. If they're any good, we could be in trouble here. Thankfully, they're not, and we weren't. Matthew Debushi did 90 minutes. Good for him. 90 minutes for Matthew Debushi uh, for the first time since November 2015 when he played in a 5-1 defeat to uh, Bayern Munich. Sorry to uh, bring that up again, but there you go. And Rob Holding, I thought, was okay. Petr Cech did pretty well, but, you know, look, in games like this where we've got a, a Premier League trip to Everton on Sunday, we've got a Carabao Cup game on Tuesday, all of that informs the team selection. There is no point in playing the big guns in these games, but you've got to ask, can we get more out of these players? Can we get more out of a out of a group of players uh, who maybe aren't the best players we've got, but is there a way of putting them out there that could make them more effective? Do we have to play three at the back, for example? Could we not get an extra man in midfield? Could we not play Nelson in one of the attacking positions? You know, things like that could make a difference. And team selection is a bit of an issue, but we might touch on that more uh, in a couple of moments' time when we talk to our guest. A bit later on, we're going to get an Everton perspective on what's going on at their club and uh, what they think might happen this Sunday when we go to Goodison Park. But right now, to uh, discuss the Europa League and all the rest, I'm joined by Tim Stillman. Hi, Tim. Hello there. How's the heart? Still racing? I guess. Yeah, I'm, I'm still having palpitations over here, um, <laughs> struggling to get my breath back after that riveting display. Oh, look, I, you know, I know that we, we can take the piss out of that and everything else, but I guess there is a reason for the... Um, for the display and the performance and everything else. And we can put it down to Europe. People might say, oh, well, this is the Europa League. I, I don't think that's what it is. No. Well, what we've got is a team selection that's absolutely informed by the fact that we have to keep players fresh for Sunday because we go to Goodison Park to play Everton. And as well as that, there's a game on Tuesday in the Carabao Cup against Norwich. And on top of that, we've got players being played out of position. Uh, we've got players who perhaps need who need better players around them to make them look good. And yeah, uh, yeah it just all sort of came together in a in a big cauldron of meh, I guess you would say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's a very disjointed, uh, very disjointed lineup. And so you get a kind of disjointed performance. But ultimately, as eye bleeding as a game like that was, um, we're on nine points out of nine. Yeah. And we're top of the group. We're probably um, we've got two home games to spare. So we're almost certainly going to top the group and not trouble any of our big players, which to me that that's worth kind of sitting through a game like that. Um, and even the Borisov game, which was a little bit more the other end of the scale, a bit bonkers. Um, yeah. But it was it was a bit of a weird old game. It was a bit like a friendly, really. And uh, I, I'm I'm quite happy to sit through um, sit through games like that if it means we're managing 
our squad and our resources particularly well. And in in a sense, I feel sorry for some of the younger players because, you know, the likes of Reese Nelson and Maitland Niles, they're not going to be able to show their best in games like this. But ultimately, that that's not really why Arsene Wenger's playing them. He's not really playing them to develop them. That's kind of a bonus. It's more this is just the second string and yeah. this is just a way of getting through without without um, playing our big players. So. Um, yeah, it's not really about their development so much, um, although it, it will help at least a bit, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, look, the, you know, people talk and you see people talking all the time about, well, Europa League, it's a load of shit. What's the point of the Europa League? And then we see a team selection like that and people seem to go mental yeah. about the team selection, which, is, which surprises me. And it was more or less the team that I thought we would we would put out. Uh, I don't know why anybody was in any way surprised by it. Oh, oh, what the... I'm sorry, I'm just sitting here watching uh, Everton playing Leon. I've got a stream of it here, and Leon have just gone ahead 2-1. What a lovely goal that was. Guy broke... Oh, Kuman is looking so sad. Oh, look at him. <laughs> don't worry, Ronald. We'll make you feel better on Sunday. Um, but what, what... I've lost my train of thought here. Yeah, no, just about the the actual team selection and and people's reaction to it. I mean, what would they what what do they want? I mean, there was part of me that was going, you know what what, what what's going to happen here is that Petr Cech is going to take a goal kick and he's going to like just go ah my thigh or my and people will go well why the fuck did you play Petr Cech in a in a game yeah, that yeah. doesn't mean anything and now we've got no goalkeeper for Sunday and all that kind of stuff. So you know you this is what the Europa League is at this point in the in the group yeah. stages. These are the players we're going to see and and kind of these are the performances that we're going to get because of that yeah absolutely absolutely and like you say um you know we don't we don't really want to want to risk players um you know risk our big players and people would go mad over that it's quite weird because i was i was kind of uh, I, this is the first game i've not actually been to in a couple of years so mm. like i actually did glance a couple of times at my timeline and I, I just thought to myself is this what twitter's always like did i just like you know, am I just not used to this or is this like an unreasonable level of, of scrutiny for a game like this? But I mean, ultimately, you're right. That That is the team we're going to see. And to be fair, we can we can afford um, one bad result um, in this. And I, I think, you know, Arsene is playing the percentages a bit. He probably realised this is the hardest game um, if the Rick. Rick had happened tonight. There'd have been plenty of time to recover it. Two mm. more home games. It didn't happen. Um, so really, like it wouldn't have been a disaster to lose it. Um, really, it would have made everyone feel quite bad. Um, but I still think we'd have topped the group with a defeat tonight. But with a win, we're I, I think you know we're we're 90, in terms of qualification, we're ninety five percent of the way there. Yeah. In terms of topping the group, we're a good eighty to ninety percent of the way there. I think so. Um, you know, it's just it's just management of resources, um, and and I I think you know some of those players as well, um, the likes of Jack Wilshere. These games I think very very valuable for him. Um, even you know someone like Olivier Giroud just to keep his hand in a bit because we some of those players like we're not going to play. I would hope Ainsley Maitland Niles at left wing back in no. a big Premier League game uh, that shouldn't happen. But we're probably going to have to call on Walcott, Giroud, Wilshere, and I think those are the players really that these games are more useful for to yeah. kind of keep their hand in, keep them involved, and uh, keep them sharp. Yeah, I mean, I'd rather see Olivier Giroud. Um 
plot around the pitch like he did tonight for 90 minutes and score an amazing goal in fairness to him. I mean, hats off. We know he's got that in his locker. But, you know, overall, it was one of those games where you're going, oh, this is this is not a game that suits Olivier Giroud. Uh, he, he just can't make any impact on it because of the way that we're playing. But I'd rather see him play in these games than come on at Watford, for example, the way he did in, in place of Lacazette. And that's not to criticise Giroud, of course. No. You know, he doesn't put himself on. It's the manager's decision to put him on. I think, you know, when, when we look at the way that the team is playing, the way the team is set up, you know, a game like tonight is is exactly what he needs because he could be fresh for when we actually need him rather than putting him on because the manager thinks he's got to give him some time. Yeah, absolutely. And I, a couple of things I, I tweeted before the game. Uh, so in, in Borisov, I thought the partnership between him and Wilshere um, looked really interesting. And actually, I, I really like Wilshere in this kind of advanced position, particularly because I'm just not quite sure he has the athleticism for central midfield for 90 minutes in the Premier League anymore he might get that back but at the moment I just don't think he has it so playing him in this kind of slightly higher up position I I think does suit him uh, particularly because we kind of play two number 10 so it's not all on him and he can just concentrate on what's Mm. good and actually him and Giroud and you know we saw that in the Norwich goal for example four years ago Um, him and Giroud they they kind of have similar ideas about how they want to play around the box they like that one touch layoff you know tippy tappy on the left foot kind of stuff and they they kind of suit each other and uh, I was really looking forward to seeing that tonight and actually for about 85 for about 80 minutes I was thinking yeah, we've not actually really seen that because um, mm. I, I think on paper, Wilshere, Walcott and Giroud is actually quite a nice balance in a front three. And then I was thinking, uh, we've, we've not really seen that tonight. But then, you know, in the goal, um, they all combined. Um, I don't know if I want to say brilliantly. There was, <laughs> it's such a strange goal. There was such a yeah. kind of seam of not quite accidental, but it just felt like everybody was um, everybody was reacting on instinct. That It was it was very improvised. Yeah. And, um, and, and yeah, so I was kind of looking forward to that front three, um, was a bit underwhelmed by them, but, you know, all three of them had a big part to play in the goal. Yeah, I mean, it, it felt the goal felt like uh, it was so at odds with the rest of the game, wasn't it? That it was this piece of brilliant football when there wasn't an awful lot of that to um, to enjoy throughout the game. You know, it was very functional sort of football. Uh, but, you know, you, I, I don't know what you can expect. You know, you've got Nelson playing out of position, El Elneny playing out of position. You've got uh, Maitland-Niles playing out of position. Uh, I, I have to say I like the look of Joe Willock. There's something not terribly eye-catching about him, but what he does, he seems to do it really well. I think he ended up with 95% pass completion. He doesn't yeah. look at all phased uh, f- uh, by what's going on. You know, this is a... This is a team from a tough league, uh, grown men playing against him. He, he wants the ball all the time. I think he faded a little bit, but I, I, he interests me a bit more than the other two. You know, Maitland-Niles, you can see he's got a lot of pace. Nelson, there's creativity. He can produce things in the final third. But, you know, we've seen players like that before, but it feels like it's a while since Arsenal have really produced a central midfielder who could who could actually make the grade. It's still very early days, I know, and, you know, we could be projecting here, but I think there's something quite interesting about Willock and the fact that the manager is willing to give him games in that position. Yeah, I think so. And and quite often with a younger player, sometimes it's not always down to, well, obviously it is down to how good they are. But sometimes um, it usually comes down to opportunity and what type of player you are 
and what your team is missing can govern um, mm. that opportunity. So, for example, Hector Bellerin got his opportunity because our right-backs got injured at the same time. Uh, Alex Iwobi got his opportunity because what we really missed kind of when Thomas Rosicki came out of the team was someone to just do that quick zippy movement passing kind of thing. And and it wasn't that Iwobi, uh, you know, I saw him a little bit at kind of youth level and, you know, he looked quite good, but he wasn't a guy you'd pick out and go, yeah, he's definitely going to be a first team player. You thought, yeah, he's he's got a chance. But the reason he got his opportunity is because we were really missing a player that has his qualities. And that and that's where someone like Willock really could, um, you know, have a, have a bit of a chance. Because if you look at this Arsenal team at the moment and you look at um, what it's missing, really, I think your number one kind of uh, your, the thing that sticks out first is um, a fairly calm on the ball presence in central midfield, which we haven't had since. Uh, kind of Arteta and Cazorla really that's that's a real yeah. hole at the moment and so actually you're right we look quite understated but actually Arsenal have um, you could argue have a real need for an understated central midfielder who just passes the ball at 95% and um, it, it it could be very interesting I think you're right because he, he could have made other choices tonight. He could have gone with another centre-back and moved Elneny in there. He could have brought Wilshere back and perhaps, I don't know, played Alex Iwobi, for example. But to play him in Belgrade in front of 55,000 pretty hostile fans, um, you know, that, that was interesting because, like I said, I, I was in Belarus for the Borisov game and honestly... It was like it was like um, I imagine those friendlies are like in the Far East. It was like the home end was full of Arsenal shirts. Everyone was really happy to see Arsenal. It was quite an open game that lacked intensity. This was the opposite. This was you know quite hostile, very partisan crowd. Although I'm sure they won't forgive me for referring to them as partisan. Um, <laughs> but you know that, yeah, politics and, and in that hostile atmosphere and yeah, for, for him to get on the ball and complete at 95 percent. In that kind of environment, not a fabulous pitch either. Um, I, I, I think that was a very interesting performance too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there was something interesting about the fact that he picked him there in preseason too. He picked him away yeah. in in Australia and in uh, in China. And Alex Oxley Chamberlain was still at the club at that point. Now maybe Wenger knew that he was going. I didn't want to, you know, give him those games in central midfield. But I think it said a lot that he would play that guy there in central midfield rather than than Oxley Chamberlain. I mean, one, one guy just going back to Jack Wilshire. Um, the legs obviously still need a bit of uh, development coming back from his injury, you know. But I think there are promising signs from Jack uh, in terms of what he what he can do and what he can bring. And if we're looking for a little bit more craft in in central midfield, and this is one of the things that frustrated me about last weekend's game against Watford, you know, after after mm. they'd scored, I was looking, okay, come on, let's get Wilshire on the pitch here. Um, we had we had opportunity to get him on the pitch for the last 15, 20 minutes, and it was only three or four minutes um, when when Arsene Wenger was going to bring him on, then didn't mm. because of the the injury to Koscielny. Um But I think he's pushing now. He may not be the guy for ninety minutes, but he's certainly a guy who's pushing the manager into thinking that he is someone who can contribute at Premier League level now and not just at Europa League or in the Carabao Cup. Definitely, at the very least from the bench yeah. um, at the moment. And I think he'll be on the bench on Sunday. And, you know, he he might feature, the manager might hold him back perhaps for the Carabao Cup game. But I think, um, again, the, the really interesting thing that Jack brings 
if you look at you know our real de facto um, central midfield is Xhaka and Ramsey. Xhaka can ping the ball long distances. Ramsey does most of his work off the ball. What we're really missing, um, particularly since you know we lost players like Rosicki, Kazola, and now Chamberlain as well, we don't have many ball carriers. We don't have many players mm. that can beat someone, that can commit defences, and that can just move the ball um, some other way, um, other than just you know launching diagonal balls or long balls to Giroud or just waiting for Alexis to do something with it. Yeah. And I think I think Jack potentially brings us something very very interesting there that we miss. Um, like I say, I, I'm not convinced that central midfield is for him at the moment. But um, back when we used to play 4-2-3-1, I always liked him coming off the right. Mm. Um, in fact, I, I'm sure I wrote about this like, I don't know, four years ago or something that I thought that that kind of right wing position uh, coming in and joining in with the centre midfield from the right, particularly because of how left footed he is. Um, that that's actually a position I quite like for him. Yeah. Um, and and it's kind of the same if if we play this kind of two behind the front front man, he can kind of do that. He can kind of drift into those pockets of space. And yeah, I I think he's he's really pushing his case um, at the moment in quite a big way. Isn't there another way of getting him in the team, which is to move to uh, a back four and play three in midfield to have that extra man in the centre of midfield, which is and has been for two seasons now at least our, our real fundamental weakness is the fact that this area of the pitch just doesn't work for us we can't find the right combination of players uh, by uh, whether it's because of injury whether it's because of suspension whether it's because the players that we have don't fit together that the the issues that we have in there seems to me could easily not easily but perhaps be solved by putting an extra body in there so you've got three a three-man central midfield you've got that extra body one who could sit deep if you need to add that bit of defensive security and Wilshire strikes me as a player who could work in tandem quite well uh, with Xhaka with uh, Ramsey perhaps with Coquelin with Elneny he sort of fits in there with, with all of them uh, and that might be a way of getting him back into the side yeah, definitely, and and one of the you know one of the things I wrote about this week that Wenger's kind of um, away from home. He's got this a bit of this conundrum where he doesn't really want to play Özil because Özil doesn't contribute off the ball enough. But when he doesn't play him, um, we don't have enough craft and we don't have enough um, creativity, and and potentially Jack Wilshere is kind of a happy medium there because he's not as creative as Meza Özil, mm. but he's more creative than Mohamed Elneny, for example. And he's not amazing off the ball, um, but he's better than Meza Özil is. So, particularly away from home, I think I think there's real potential for that. There's you know this kind of that almost kind of not quite solves that conundrum, but um, it could be a very interesting solution to it to give Jack maybe a bit of freedom um, and have you know a fairly solid platform. Um, and yeah, play, play him almost like a number ten, uh, just in front of you know either Xhaka and Ramsey or or whoever. I I still don't think it it's brilliant off the ball because I still don't think Jack Wilshere's brilliant in that sense. He he tries, 
but I don't think he's got amazing off-ball intelligence. But, but is that not is that not like a, a sort of an upgrade on on let's say what we get from Mesut Ozil in a big game away from home? Yeah. That there's there is a bit more bite to Wilshire. You know, I think he is a bit more inclined to get stuck in, and he's talked I think in the past about uh, how when he was playing for England, perhaps under Roy Hodgson, that he enjoyed this sort of deep-lying midfield mm. role, where which I don't think really suits him particularly well. But it's it's a part of the game that he seems to enjoy. He does like a bit of a tackle at times, Jack, and he won't. He won't back down. He's not a guy who will, uh, who'll, who'll turn his back on something. You know, he will. He'll go face first and you know end up out of the game for six months. But that's just the way he is. Yeah, I mean that. You know, in the build up to that second goal, for example, like we got the real yin and yang of Ozil when he came on. He, you know, mm. created an opportunity instantly, the likes of which we hadn't been able to create before. But then for the winning goal, you know, he's well, he's not even shoved off the ball. He removes himself from the ball. And you can't really see Wilshire doing that. So I, I think you're right. Like where Wilshire is not, you know, the most amazing off the ball kind of player. He, he, he at least kind of tries uh, for want of a better word. And that's in lieu of a better option in, in what we've actually got at the moment that's yeah. that's probably preferable what do you see him doing this weekend for the game against Everton on the basis of what we saw last weekend at Vicarage Road where Arsenal should have won that game there's no question in my mind we should have won that game we had the chances to win the game um, even if the uh, the penalty had a, a, a big impact on the game in the sense that it gave Watford some momentum I think we have to look at our own performance above all else and certainly the last 20 minutes we did not we did not threaten them at all. Um, we invited pressure on ourselves, and and there were players culpable for that to varying degrees. I mean, is he going to look at the the team that went out at Watford and say, "Look, you and you, you did not do what you were supposed to do in that game. Sit your arses down on the bench for a week or two, or you're going to have to play yourself back into the team." Or does he just not have the ability or the options to change things at this moment in time? I I think more the latter, and I I think kind of one of the interesting things about having a Europa League game immediately before a Premier League game it gives you a very good idea of what the starting lineup's going to be for the Premier League game because basically whoever doesn't play is going to play so I think you'll see Xhaka back in you'll see Ramsey back in um, you know by by all reports Alexis should be available and he'll definitely play the, and Lacazette will definitely play the interesting one for me is whether he play, and we don't really know, I don't think, what the case is with Danny Welbeck yet, but I think he'd be pretty foolish to start him anyway. I think he's I think he's out. I think he's out. I think yeah. it was a hamstring, and I think he he's probably going to be out. So, I mean, it, it, it's going to be a... I think it's a straight choice, isn't it, between... Um, Ozil and Awobi. Uh, yeah, Ozil and Awobi for that right-hand side. And, you know, if it were me, I have to say, you know, I've got this hankering to see Alexis Ozil and, and Lacazette but I mm. do wonder you know I'm looking at Evan here they're like two minutes away from uh, being beaten 2-1 in the Europa League by Lyon uh, the pressure that, that Kuman is under the pressure that's going to come from the fans you know oh hang on oh oh Oh, good save from Pickford. But um, you know, it, it maybe is a case that given the given the um, the state that they're in, we might be we might be better off like going for 
going going for it in as in an in an attacking sense as much as we possibly can. So that might mean Ozil, Lacazette, and uh, and uh, Alexis, even if that's not the ideal scenario away from home. You know, they're so brittle. I think that that we could take advantage of that. Yeah, definitely. Particularly in the first kind of twenty minutes or so. Um, I, I don't know what sort of team Everton have put out tonight, but um, you know potentially we've got a physical advantage over them as well because we left you know all the play- nearly all the players that are going to start on Sunday at home and we kicked off earlier anyway. Mm. I know there's the travelling. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, I would certainly do that, and I I think um, I think we really need to see Lacazette. Um, a veil of Urzil. Um, I, I almost feel a bit sorry for him because he was probably sold this kind of, yeah, we're going to play you um, in front of Meza Urzil. And he was probably thinking, oh, lovely. Yeah. And, uh, it, it hasn't really happened yet. And um, it, it, you know, potentially, I understand why Wenger's reticent about putting the three of them together, but I agree with you. I think for a game like that, I think for Man City, you don't do that, for example. No. <laughs> no. But for this game, I think the first 20 minutes or so, you've got to think Everton are going to be quite nervous. The crowd might be quite nervous. If we can impose the game on them straight away, um, I think that would be very interesting. I, I do have a feeling he's going to start Iwobi, though, just because I think Iwobi would have gone tonight unless he was, you know, unless yeah. he was planning on starting him. I think Iwobi would have gone in some capacity, particularly when you look at our bench tonight. There wasn't much to bring on, um, particularly in an attacking sense. It was we were going to have to win it with those eleven players, and um, yeah, I, I appreciate it won't be played on Saturday, and you know looked quite tired towards the end, but. Um, I, I do think he will start Alex Iwobi. Otherwise, I think he might have travelled to Belgrade. But I'm with you for this game. I think you've got to look at the scenario and say, right, we could do with the confidence ourselves anyway, and um, you know. This this is as good a time to go to Goodison Park as we're ever going to have, really. Yeah. So, um, I think that first twenty minutes, we just we get on top of them and mm. uh, and go for them. And and if we end up playing, you know, a bit high up the pitch, one thing Everton really lack is pace. So, um, you know, we're perhaps not as susceptible um, to, to them as we might otherwise usually be. Yeah, they've just lost two one. Kuman is looking very rueful here on the sideline. Good. Could he? Could he? You know, I, we could face that terrible scenario, couldn't we? Of uh, the manager getting sacked, and you end up with a uh, a caretaker who does the business. But you know, it would be. I'd be surprised if it happened before before Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I, I would be inclined to to go for it as well. I mean, I think uh, there is. Perhaps a, a feeling that Ozil doesn't do it ever away from home, and that, I don't think that's the case. You know, he has done it away from home. Maybe not against the likes of Liverpool or uh, Man United, Chelsea, Man City. Oh, Cummins on the pitch now. He's giving out to the uh, giving out to the officials about something. I'm not quite sure what. That's a, that's a sure sign. He's absolutely fucked. Actually, <laughs> he's on the pitch, and he, the referee's just going fuck off. Now, just get lost. Um, but you know, I, I, I've, again, I've forgotten what I was talking about. There, I was talking about uh, Ozil doing it. I mean, he, he can, he can do it. I, I don't think Everton this season are even the Everton of last season. No, no, absolutely not. And and you have to think. I mean, like I say, if we start this game well, we can almost play it like a home game, um, where we look to impose ourselves from the off. And if we can get, obviously, it's a gamble, but I think it's one worth taking. Um, we kind of saw at Watford, you know, we 
and and you know Watford are playing much much better than Everton are um, at the moment. We all know that Everton are you know perhaps a bigger club with maybe even better players than Watford, but Watford are, are a much better team at this moment in time. And uh, we kind of went there. I wouldn't say cautious, but yeah, maybe a bit cautious um, with with the kind of front three that we chose, and we kind of went for muscle really over creativity and I, I think we kind of misjudged Watford by doing that I think we kind of went on the stereotype of what we think Watford is rather than what they actually are at the moment and um, and it, you know I don't want us to kind of make that error with Everton and think oh this this is Everton away and Everton are good um, I think we should look more at the table and mm. say well actually at this moment in time Everton are not good Let's like let's really capitalise on that. Let's establish ourselves, and um, and and you know if we can get that bit of space as well, and and if we're dominating the ball, then Özil is absolutely a player you want. If you've got more of the ball than the opposition, then you know I, I think we've he's he's not been brilliant of late, but at the same time I do think that we have short memories about what a fantastic player he mm. is. He's he's still looking for that spark. Um, a little bit but also he's been very in and out of the side and um, I don't know may, maybe now's the time to say right let's let's get him in the side let's get him behind Lacazette let's get Lacazette his first away goal because I don't doubt that that's weighing on him a yeah. little bit at the moment and uh, you know let's 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 try and get some confidence back into the team and uh, Ozil is definitely a player who can help us do that Alright well look fingers crossed that we can uh, give Ronald Koeman the send off that he deserves after all the annoying times that he's uh, he's managed the team to beat us or to, to results yeah. that we didn't like I, I despise him um, <laughs> so I, I'd love I'd consider it a trophy if we <laughs> if we were the ones that got him the sack I would absolutely I would enjoy that yeah we could put that in Arson's trophy cabinet yeah I'd, I'd enjoy that too I have to say alright Tim listen thanks a million and we'll uh, we'll catch up soon pleasure thank you very much indeed to Tim you know where to find him he is on Twitter at Stilberto at Stilberto you can read his column every week on arsblog.com it's sometimes on a Thursday and because of the EuroLeague it is sometimes on a Wednesday Wednesday. Never let it be said that we don't give you variety on top of top quality content right here on uh, arsblog.com. Just want to remind you, if you are down under, that I'm going to be there next week. It's a long way to go, blimey, I have to say. But I'm going to be at the Sports Writers Festival in Melbourne and in Sydney. I'm in Melbourne on October 28th. And the event in Sydney is on November the 4th. It's going to be an interview about Arsblog, uh, but also about new media and how the uh, the whole media landscape is changing in terms of blogs, in terms of podcasts, in terms of being a niche publisher, writing about your favorite football team and how you could make it happen, all those kind of things. All the details are on the website, which is sportswritersfestival.com.au. That is sportswritersfestival.com. Dot .au and uh, I know that there are games on while I'm down there there's a couple of games when I'm in Melbourne a couple of games on I'm in Sydney so hopefully we can catch up with some of the uh, the Australian gooners down there and watch a game I think they're on they're on at crazy times of the night though I think the Swansea game on the uh, 28th is on at one o'clock in the morning over there but you know I could be tempted to stay up a bit late drink a beer or two and uh, watch some games with uh, with uh, with fellow fans. So hopefully we can make that happen as well. So uh, check it out. It is the Sports Writers Festival and the website is sportswritersfestival.com.au. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Right. Ahead of Sunday's game against Everton at Goodison Park, it's time to get a perspective from that side of the fence. Earlier on Thursday, I spoke to one of my ESPN FC colleagues, Luke O'Farrell. He is their Everton correspondent. We spoke about what's going on at their club at the moment, about Ronald Koeman, about the way their season is going at the moment and the upcoming game against Arsenal. So uh, check it out. This is me chatting to Luke O'Farrell. Let me ask you first, how were Everton fans feeling at the end of last season? Uh, you finished seventh, but like a good way ahead of the eighth position. I think there was like a 15-point gap, still a little bit behind the top six, but there was kind of a, I guess, a feeling of optimism uh, having finished the way that you did. Yeah, I think we ended up something like 15 points off fourth and 15 points off eighth. We were sort of in a league of our own. That gave some indication as to the, the job we had to do ahead of the of the summer. But I think the way it's gone, it started to the summer started to lose its way a bit. Um, we got Pickford in and Keane in, and everybody knew we needed a goalkeeper and a centre back, and they've they've been great for the most part. Hmm. But around the time we started going after Rooney and the Sigurdsson move went on for too long. I think it was about six weeks and we just sort of lost our way everyone could see whether Lukaku stayed or not and everybody knew he was going we needed pace and width and he didn't do anything about that I mean was there a feeling given that Everton spending over the last well for, for as long as I can remember certainly in Premier League era it's been relatively frugal you know they haven't splashed out in a big way but Obviously, with the money that's swanning around or swishing around the Premier League at this moment in time, everybody's a bit cash rich. And I think we saw that with the the spending, that, for example, £40 million on Gilfie Sigurdsson, good player as he is. You know, that's the kind of money that Arsenal spent on Mesut Ozil just a few years ago. Um, but so, I mean, what was the feeling after the after the, the summer was done, the summer, uh, the spending had been completed? There had been that big investment in the squad. Was there were there still many doubts, or was there a feeling that okay, we've we've uh, we've brought some players in here, and we're really going to have a go? I think as bad as it sounds, I think we spent we spent in the region of 140 million, and that was almost like well, that's going to keep us where we were, and this is going to take time. We'll have to build because 
it as much as it misses the bigger picture, I think we've got far more problems than that. Not replacing Lukaku, we were always going to struggle with that because it's not so much the results at the minute as well. It's it's the performances that are, you're not seeing anything really. You know, we've gone to we've played Tottenham, United, and we've basically just rolled over. So there's no, yeah, I mean, there's no uh, sense that the team is, uh, it's a terrible thing to say or a difficult thing to say or to quantify, but up for it, you know, that there isn't a feeling that this team is is ready to dig in. No, we've conceded uh, the first goal, I think, in nine of the last 10 games. And the one thing you can guarantee is, and as much as Moyes had his faults, is teams generally, you could rely on them to dig in and, we had a similar situation a few years ago, and I think we conceded first the first goal in the first six games, and we lost none of them. And that's not, obviously it's not a good. You don't want to be conceding first every week, but that team could scrap, and you just get the sense that this team can't. What were people thinking of Ronald Koeman at the start of the season, before anything had kicked off, after the end of last season, and the good finish uh, that, that got you into seventh, even if you were in a league of your own? Uh, were people favorably disposed to Kuman? Was there a sense that he was the guy who who was the right man to take the club forward? I think I think mostly. Yeah, he he just marked such a significant shift from Martinez. Martinez praised everything, and you know you'd lose three nil, and Martinez would come out and say, "Oh, that wasn't so bad." And you're like, <laughs> "We've just lost three nil," you know. Whereas Kuman came in, he was quite abrupt, honest. If we played badly, he said. You know, that wasn't good enough. And everyone sort of went, well, that's what you want to hear from your manager. But a big part of the problem now is obviously last season, when it's a one bad game, it's easy to say that wasn't good enough in isolation. But now when you're struggling week to week, match to match, and fans still expect that, and he's, we've sort of seen him move past that now, and it's excuses, injuries, the Europa League. And I, the Europa League one, I cannot get my head around because... It was everyone was clear last season we needed to be back in Europe. That was the way forward. And yet Mashiri and Kuman in, in recent weeks have both weighed heavily in blaming the Europa League for where we are now. And it's like, well, you wanted this. You knew this was coming. Mm. You can't now turn around and say, Well, actually, these extra games are why we struggled. But we were I say we were in a league of our own for that long towards the back end of last season. We knew we were finishing seventh. We knew we were going to have to start the season in July. They've had time to prepare. And I think now the sense is that whilst he was the right man, he needs to start showing responsibility. And he's not. He's, he's making excuses. He's picking the same players every week in systems that don't work. I think Ar- yeah, I was going to say Arsenal fans listening to that will be able to identify certainly with the way that the summer went and uh, knowing what was on the horizon and not doing things quickly enough to to sort those out. Uh, it was interesting. I saw him a couple of weeks ago where he talked about, well, you know, if the players aren't willing to put it in, then the manager has to start looking at himself and, uh, you know, perhaps suggesting that his position was a bit tenuous. I think that might be self-defeating in a way, isn't it? If the players aren't already going to dig in for you and then you as manager say, well, look, if they're not going to dig in, maybe I have to start thinking about, you know, my own position, it it will make them less inclined to do that. Yeah, I think the the thing that really annoyed me at the time was after we drew with Athlon Limassol in the Europa League and we 
did as we seem to do in the easy games. We drew two all in the last minute against 10 men. And afterwards, he came out and basically said, well, you know, that's on the players. And as much as, you know, the final error, not defending the free kick, may have been on the players, it's quite clear to most fans that this poor start is on the manager. And to have him come out and say that was, I think that's the point where he, he, he lost, maybe lost a lot of fans because he sort of threw the players under the bus without actually, when he needed to sort of say, this is on me. We'll work through this together. I hold my hands up. It hasn't been good enough. And we've not seen any of that. Arsenal come to town on Sunday with a really poor away record in the Premier League this season. They went to Liverpool, got beaten 4-0. Um, the only point we've got on the road is a nil-nil draw at Chelsea, which was uh, something we had to do, having lost the way that we did in Anfield, but we've lost at Stoke. Uh, we've lost at... Uh, uh, Watford just last weekend, a game that we had in our hands, quite similar to the Everton game last season where Arsenal took the lead and then let it slip late on, uh, and that was a real turning point in our season. And well, what's your feeling on facing Arsenal at this moment in time? Is it, oh, well, this this could be the game that could turn us around, or are you more worried that your own bad form might, uh, might contribute to the result? Um, at this stage, I'd say it's more the latter. Right. I think... I think Troy Deeney, with his comments after your game the other day, was sort of spot on. And as much as, you know, you don't want to be kicking Arsenal off the park, so to speak, but up and at them, especially when you're at home and, and Arsenal come to visit, has always seemed to be the way to go about things. Yeah. But even that approach at the minute seems beyond us because there's just no energy in the team. It's slow. There's no legs. And... I know we had success a few years ago where Martinez put Lukaku wide right because Monreal was on another planet, I think, and he just sort of cut in behind him and, and used that space and we won 3-0. And that was probably, the you know, that was a great performance and all that, but there's none of that. And, you know, I think the key to, to beating Arsenal, especially away from home, is get press them up the pitch you know, isolate the defence and so on. And the way we're setting up now, it's just not possible. Koeman's record against Wenger is pretty good, though, not just uh, at Everton, but at our previous clubs he's managed. He seems to have this little bit of an Indian sign over over Arsene Wenger. And to me, I have to say, like, as a as an Arsenal fan, I mean, it's quite funny. You're sitting here despairing at your own team, and I'm sitting here despairing at my own team. And I think that's the way of the football fan, isn't it? We kind of focus on what's wrong with our own team and can't see any way out of it. But I have to say, I, I it, it feels to me like this is the kind of game that could reignite Everton season simply because it would be very Arsenal for us to go there and do something similar to what we did at Watford is that take the lead and then sit back and, and end up putting ourselves under pressure uh, and allowing that, like you say, that momentum that a home team can build. Would it say something to you if the Everton side were able to get up and put in that kind of a performance or or would it just be a one-off? Yeah, that's the problem. I think we'd have to see because at the situation we're in now, doing it against Arsenal, but then, you know, we've got Chelsea away in the League Cup after that, and we mm. haven't won there since 1994. Uh, Leicester away, Leon away, it's Dorton, and as hard as those games are, we've got to start winning them. I don't know, it's... It would it would be good, but I think a lot depends on as well on how tonight goes against Leon because 
I think especially if this if if we don't see a reaction tonight, and if you can score first on Sunday, the crowd will go. Right. And you can understand it. You know, mm. fans are losing patience with what they're seeing, and we saw it against Burnley. If you score first, and and there's no reaction from the players, the atmosphere will will get toxic, and I think that all the game might just totally slip away from us. Mm. Yeah, well, we'll have to wait and see. You know, you should never underestimate Arsenal's ability to uh, to hand the opposition uh, a lifeline, that shot of adrenaline that they need. But we'll have to wait and see. It sounds like two teams in a in a difficult place, um, and it'll be interesting to see which uh, which one can master the situation better than the other. I don't know if it's going to be a classic, but we'll have to wait and see. Luke, thanks very much indeed. Oh, thank you. Thanks to Luke. You can find him on Twitter if you like. He is at Luke O'Farrell. That's at Luke O'Farrell. And, well, that's what's going on at Everton. And that's what was going on at Everton before their 2-1 defeat to Leon at Goodison Park last night. Ronald Koeman at the end of the game looked particularly unhappy. He looked bereft, as I was saying in the the chat with him, berating the referees. Uh, that's that's never a good sign. He's on the pitch. They're paying him no attention. And I think he is a man under some serious, serious pressure. Whether that's the kind of pressure that will see his players down tools on Sunday or if they like him enough, respond and give Arsenal a real game, we'll have to wait and see. Let's hope it is the former rather than the latter. We have talked about that game with Tim, so there's no point going on with it. Thank you as ever for listening. Just to remind you that if you had the time to give us a review on iTunes, that would be greatly appreciated. A review or a rating indeed. Uh, just click on to iTunes. That would be fantastic. James and I will be here on Monday. We'll have an Arscast extra for you, of course. We'll be looking back at what happens over the weekend and hopefully it's only good things that happen to us because believe it or not that is what I prefer that is what I like I like it when Arsenal win I like it when Arsenal are good I like it when we play well despite what some people might have you believe that is what I like best so look let's keep fingers crossed that they can do that we'll catch you on Monday and of course on the next one until then cheers thanks for listening bye bye Hi, I'm Stan Kroenke, and ahead of next week's AGM, I just want to tell you all that I'm going to be there. I'm going to stand up, and I'm going to be counted. I'm going to talk to you all. I'm going to tell you exactly what our vision is for this football club, how we're going to make it the powerhouse of Europe, how we're going to win the Premier League and the Champions League. I'm going to be up front. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to bear my soul to you guys. No longer will I be silent, Stan. You won't even be able to shut me up, I promise you, because... (laughs) Uh, Josh... 
Can I send it out there? Come on, Josh. I know you said I shouldn't, but this shit is gold, man. Come on, Josh. God damn it, you're such a spoiled, spoiled little asshole. Just like your mother. God damn it. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.